Thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Amy, and together with my husband, Johnny, we lead the church here in Nottingham, England. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. And if we can help you in any way at all, feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. Anyway, we've been in a series for the last uh, few weeks on life in the spirit and what it looks like to be somebody who's experiencing the fullness of life uh, through the Holy Spirit, who's walking with the Spirit of God day by day and really asking the question, what difference does that make in our lives? We looked a couple of weeks ago at a life without any condemnation, what it would be like to sort of switch off that inner critic and tune in to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives, what that would do for us. That was a couple of weeks ago. And last week, Amy spoke about freedom and what it looks like to walk out and work out freedom. And this week, we're going to be talking about, or continuing that, as, uh, and as Craig read, we're going to carry on in Romans 8. And uh, I was having a coffee earlier in the week on Tuesday with Joanne, and we got talking about this Sunday and what we were going to be doing, what we are going to be saying. And we just had the idea, or I just had the idea, I don't know exactly how it went, Joanne, that we would tag team uh, tonight's uh, preach. So why don't we welcome Joanne? She's going to come and share. And, um, and I'm going to pray for her uh, as she does. Father, thank you so much um, for Joanne. Lord, we just are so grateful. Uh, that you've called her to be part of this family with us. And we thank you for the message that's in her heart and it's in her life. Lord, and we just pray that you would bless us this evening as we hear from her and from your word. And bless her as she shares. In Jesus' name, amen. Is everyone really hot? Because I am Ralston. Um, what was the result of the tennis? <laughs> Sorry guys if I ruined that straight away. Well now you know who's won, you can now focus on this so we can move on. <laughs> um, so yeah, Johnny and I went for a coffee and um, he asked me to share. So I do apologise because this isn't my natural um, standing and speaking. Um, but I really feel like God is calling me um, to kind of just go for it and um, yeah, not say no and say yes to these opportunities. So I'm going to go for it. Um, I might read a lot, so I'm really sorry if I don't make too much eye contact. I'll probably make eye contact with Pat um, because she's always just speaking in tongues and staring right at my soul. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably make eye contact with Pat. Yeah, and um, just a big thank you, um, Johnny and Amy, I've been on this journey for three years, moved from London, um, and they took a massive risk, Um, Johnny said this morning that he didn't really know if I could lead worship, and um, he just asked me to come, him and Amy, and I've been with the team for three years, and um, I'm just thankful for you guys, and for this church, and for what God is doing, and I honestly couldn't be in a better place than Nottingham. Um, So recently I've been singing out, you made a way, you made a way for me to live in freedom and to walk in freedom. And I honestly sing that because I believe that that is true. 
God has made a way for you and I to walk in freedom. And I also sing this because I'm so desperate to walk in more freedom. I'm so desperate to be set free. I so desperately want my friends to be set free. And I so desperately want to see the world like God does. And I love this passage in Romans 8. And this, uh, I said this morning and this, this evening, <laughs> I want to share a few thoughts that I've discovered about it. So I want to focus in on Romans 8, 14, 16. It might come up on the screens. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you, you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I love the message version, so I'm just going to read that as well. This resurrection life you receive from God is not timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Now, someone came up to me this morning and said, I really love your Scottish accent when you read scripture. That's all he said and walked away. So <laughs> I, hope, I hope that tonight um, you can understand my Scottish accent. Um, and I don't know about you, but I love adventure. I love to have fun. And I love to know what's next on the adventure. And whenever I go on holiday with my family, I think I drive them crazy. Because we arrive at the destination, we sit by the pool, we get a drink, and I ask the question, what are we doing next? And I lived with a family with four kids, and I'd often look after the children, and I'd get them going with an activity, and they'd turn around and say, Joanne, what's coming next? I don't know if you can relate to that. What we read here is that when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we respond by asking God, what is next for us? What's next, Papa? Abba, Father, where are you leading me next? Life through the Spirit is led by God. It's exciting, it's expectant, and it's fun. I love this image of a kid just so excited and expectant, asking God, what is next? We also read that we know who he is and we know who we are. We read that we are God's children. We read that God is our father. When God's spirit touches our spirit, we know who we really are. And I don't know how much you've thought about God being your father to you. And I want you to touch on this today. I really feel like God has, has placed this in my heart to share with you tonight. And for me, getting to know God as Father has been a bit of a journey, to be honest. And in this next section, whether I talk about earthly father, you may want to think about your earthly mother, your earthly friend, someone close to you. And I don't know your situation with your earthly father. 
You may be sitting here today with a parent who's no, no longer with us on earth. Your father may be sick. Your father may have left you. Your father may be the best dad in the world. Your father may have abused you. Your father may be a competitive father. And the list goes on. And whether we want to or not, we project our human relationships onto our relationship with God. And I've certainly done this. I grew up without an earthly father um, from the age of four due to my dad passing when I was younger. Um, I'm so grateful that he was a kind and he was a compassionate man. Growing up without a dad, I would often get so confused about this word of God is your father. How can I understand that? Um, how can I understand what you're like, God as father? Are you absent? Distant, silent, and all these questions, they'd fill my head. And I wonder what you today, tonight, are projecting onto your relationship with God. God, are you good? God, are you kind? God, do you want what's best for me in my life? And I think, and I truly believe that these questions are valid and fundamental to your own relationship with God. I think definitely question these things. But tonight, uh, but the, one, the point I want to make tonight is that God is your perfect Father. When we project imperfect humans onto God's character, we in return don't see the fullness of who God really is. When we project imperfect humans, so our friends and our family around us, onto God's character, we in return don't see the fullness of who God really is. And Louis Giglio, um, a famous preacher, he says, God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of your earthly father. I love that. God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of of your earthly father. And we're known here in Nottingham, in this city, in this world, as a fatherless generation. And we need to start reminding those around us that they have a perfect father in Jesus. We have a father who is kind, he's patient, he's always approachable. You will never have to earn his love. You will never never do anything to blow his love for you. He has good and faithful plans for each and every single one of you. He knows you intimately. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. Every good gift comes from him. And I've seen this. God has been so kind throughout my journey. He's reminded me of his closeness recently and his heart for me. Um, this isn't on my notes, but just a couple of weeks ago, I um, asked Johnny if he wouldn't mind if I shared this, but we were in the prayer room, and um, George and Katie were there, and um, I just experienced the Father's love again, afresh. Um, Johnny actually said, can I do something a little different? I want to kiss you on the head as a symbol of the Father's love over you. And honestly, I wept. And this is 32 minutes past 10. And I was meant to be on stage leading worship, and I was weeping and weeping. And God just poured out his Father's love afresh on me. 
So I've seen this. I've recently been reminded that God is so much bigger than I think he is. Yet he's so much closer than I think he is. He's so much bigger and yet he's so much closer. Isn't that incredible? His spirit is inside of me and his spirit is inside of you. You know, I'm still learning every day to walk in more freedom, especially in this area. Even today, me standing on this stage is a sign of me stepping into more freedom. Um, yeah, I really want more freedom. And I believe that when I experience and understand God more, I will in return know myself a little bit more. When I look to Jesus and not those around me, I'll in return um, know more about myself and I'm sure I'll see a better image of myself and when I rely on God's strength and not my own I'll walk in more freedom Amy last week said that free people free people free people free people she just dropped that in there um, I know how I want to see more freedom how I want to see those around me set free you know, I work in a boxing club um, part of the time and then part-time here. Um, the reason, honestly, that I work in that boxing club is to share the Father's love. Um, these children are broken and they have, some of them have no homes, have no parents, and all they need to know is that the Father, God, loves them. So God, would you start setting me free? Would you start setting us free? And my last point and encouragement I want to make is that we, we will be so much more free if we seek God with all our heart. Jeremy Riddle, a worship leader, said, the more you're set on knowing God, the more revelation you will have. The more you're set on knowing God, the more revelation you will have. So my question today what is holding you back from experiencing the full love of the father what's holding you back where is it tonight that you need to be set free the more you're set on knowing god the more revelation you'll have so abba father lead us i pray teach us and guide us at your feet, Jesus, and your feet alone, I want to be found before my Father. And God, I pray tonight over every single person here, would you pour out your Father's love afresh, God? Would we come to know you um, more close, God? Would we, would we see your face tonight, God? Father, would you pour out your love afresh on us, God? Jesus, come and have your way. Come and set us free. Amen. Can I just add one more point? Sorry, Johnny. Oh, no, come up, come up. Um, I wasn't going to say this, but it honestly takes hard, it's hard work. Being set free is hard work. Um, and I just wanted to say that because this here is part of my testimony. And this is just the beginning of me being set free. 
Um, I'm often filled with insecurities, worry, um, shame, like we all are. We're all human. But um, yeah, just go on this journey day by day. Seek God. Try to, try to get to know him more. Um, yeah, amen. So, Joanna's convinced us, this matters. This stuff matters. Having a vision of God as Father is important, and it's important for a number of reasons. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question, the most important question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact, what a word, about any man or woman is not what he or she at a given time may say or do, but what he or she in his or her deep heart conceives God to be like. The most important thing about, as Toza says, is what we think about God. More specifically, what we think God thinks about us. Who is God? What is he like? This matters. And as Joanne said, we also, as we recognize that this matters, we also have to say at the very same time, we've got a problem, folks. Now, I'm no psychologist, but I have heard people utter the word projection. We are, as humans, in danger, as Joanne said, of projecting our own situation, our own life history, and our own circumstance onto God. And this leaves us in a terrible situation. Whether we've had a great father, an absent father, or somewhere in between, we're in trouble. And part of the problem, part of the reason we're in trouble is because we can't get to a vision of who God is by scaling up anything that exists in the world. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, put it this way. One cannot speak of God by speaking of man in a loud voice. We can't sort of imagine something on earth, even something good, and think that it's going to describe what God is like because God is something completely other. To use the Bible's language, God is holy. And so even God's fatherhood is not like human fatherhood. It's not exactly the same. So, and again, Joanne said this, we need help from outside of our system. We need, to use another biblical word, revelation and it's been our contention it's been our assertion that over the last few weeks that it is through the Holy Spirit and only through the Holy Spirit that we begin really to understand what God is like there is no theology course that, convince a hu that can convince a human heart of the reality and the goodness of God there is no experience aside from an experience of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're here for. Let's turn to the scripture and see how it happens. This is what Paul says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
Sounds a little bit complex, don't worry, we're not going to stop here, we're just going to skate over this and say that this is basically a summation of what we've been saying for the last two weeks. Paul's essentially saying, you reap what you sow. If you pay into the bank of the flesh, if you invest in your own sinful desires, you're going to reap death. If you pour into the Spirit, if you commit yourself to God, as Joanne just said as she closed, you will reap life. That's what, that's the equation for life. He goes on and says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. This right here, if you can get hold of it, is dynamite. These four lines, if we begin to fully understand what they mean, these lines will transform our lives like no other truth. I believe that what's written in this short verse is one of the most compelling and powerful things that the Christian faith, that Christ himself has to offer the world. I believe if our city caught hold of this, if our city even glimpsed a vision of a people who believed that this was true and lived as if they believed that this was true, then it would have such a powerful transformational power on our city. We would not even know what to do with ourselves. So what is going on here? Paul says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He's picking up here an image from the Old Testament to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, and if you remember the story from the Old Testament, and if you're new here, I'll try and explain it. But God calls a people called Israel, and they end up, uh, through a long, long story, they end up uh, enslaved in Egypt under the tyranny of an oppressor called Pharaoh. And God sends a deliverer, Moses, and he... Uh, with God's help, leads them out of slavery, and they have this journey ahead of them. And the journey is from slavery to freedom. But they need a guide, because Moses has never been that way before. And in fact, none of them have, and so God gives them a guide. He leads them by his own spirit. And he does it by giving them a, a couple of sort of impressive signs. They get a pillar of cloud by day, and they get a pillar of fire by night, and it's all they have to do is just watch what those pillars are doing. And when the cloud or the fire moves, they move. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the night. If the cloud or the, or the fire move, they move. Imagine how easy that would be. You know, you're sort of waking up in the morning and you're on your way to work and you're trying to make those difficult decisions about work, like which socks to wear and, you know, you've got that important meeting and what's your business strategy going to be and, and which client should you sort of try and win the business from or, or I don't know exactly what you guys do, which essay you should choose uh, or various other things, which sermon you should preach or something like that. You want to make the big decisions, but, you know, if, if you only had a pillar... A pillar to show you the way, a, a cloud or some fire. Wouldn't it be easy? Walking out in the streets, doing prayer on the streets on Wednesday, you're all invited. Uh, and going out and just thinking, you know, not having to do that sort of difficult discernment. Should I speak to that person, that person? Just see a pillar of cloud above them. It would just take the guessing out of it, wouldn't it? To be led in that way. And yet Paul actually imagines that to be led by the Spirit of God, living not beyond us or outside of us, but actually within us, is a better situation that we're better off than the Israelites were because we have the Spirit of God not just outside of us showing us the way in the distance, but 
The Spirit of God within the camp, living within us, leading us from within. Where is the Spirit leading us? Paul says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit of God is leading us into an experience of being God's son or daughter. And if you've been around the church as long as I have, and I've, looking around the place, been around the church longer than most have, you may be reading those words, thinking of those words, and they just sort of skate over your head. It's like, oh yeah, that's great, awesome, children of God, praise Jesus, let's sing the next song. Joanne, come back, Joanne. This concept of sonship is, is like the shorthand that Paul's using to describe what it was like to be freed from slavery for the people of God. Now imagine being enslaved. Can you, can you imagine this? Imagine being enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And imagine making bricks to build pyramids, making them from straw, day in and day out, and working harder and harder and harder, and getting no thanks, no freedom, no nothing, no wages, the fear of death around you all the time. And then imagine one day God sets you free. Imagine the rush. Imagine the liberation. Imagine the internal and external freedom you would feel in that moment. That's the kind of thing that being a child of God should provoke in us, evoke in us. This is a, a shift of our internal and external circumstances, the possibilities for our lives, because of this truth that we're children of God, the possibilities for our life are now completely and utterly boundless. This is big stuff. Freedom in the kingdom looks like sonship. To understand that you're a son and a daughter of God means you're free. And Paul says, look, you need to get this, but you also need to make sure that you don't, having got it, fall away from it. Because the Spirit of God gives you this truth, and the Spirit of God keeps you in this truth. This Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves, so that you want to go back to Egypt again. The Egypt of being a hired worker. Somebody in God's kingdom who's useful to him when he needs help, but not somebody who belongs. No, that, that's not what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God lets you live in the kingdom of God and stay in the kingdom of God. And enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. It's a permanent state. This is the most incredible truth, in my own personal opinion. I don't say this with any real sort of theological authority. I'm just telling you my opinion right now. I think this is the most powerful and transformative truth in the New Testament. And as I've been thinking about it this week, and as I've been sort of preparing, I've got to be honest. I'm just really, really aware that this has become really blasé for me. So sort of commonplace, you know? This precious thing that I've just sort of got used to. But I read a book this week, and it just brought it home again. And it's a book called I Dare to Call Him Father by somebody called Begum Bilquis or Bilquis Sheikh. And uh, Bilquis was a, a woman in Pakistan. She was a wealthy woman in the late 1960s. She experienced a radical conversion from Islam to Christianity without expecting it, uh, without knowing that it was coming, but she just had this series of encounters with God. And I'm just going to describe what happened to her and I'm going to share a bit of her story. 
Because it brought it home to me what a powerful and transformative thing it is when we catch hold of what it means for God to be Father. So Bilquis was a wealthy woman, as I said. She was spiritually searching. She was hungry. And she began to, to start reading the Bible. She was intrigued by it. And she wanted to compare it with the Quran and to see what was what. Then she had a series of strange dreams out of nowhere. Just weird dreams. The first dream, she was sitting and she had a meal with somebody. And she knew in the, meal, in the, in the dream that the person she was having a meal with was Jesus. She didn't know how she knew it, she just knew it. And she had this meal. And then after that meal, in the same dream, she met somebody called John the Baptist. Now she'd heard of Jesus. Jesus is present within the Quran. He's seen as a prophet. She had never heard of John the Baptist. She didn't know about John the Baptist. She never heard the name. But she knew she was meeting with John the Baptist. And she woke up out of that dream screaming. I'm not going to scream at you now. Screaming repeatedly, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, John the Baptist. Having never, ever heard of the guy before. She had another dream, a series of other dreams, one in which she was just overwhelmed by a scent of perfume, this most beautiful scent she'd ever smelt before. And then after that dream, she began to sort of experience that scent outside the dream while she was walking around. She would sometimes smell the scent when if she was sort of surrounded by a particularly beautiful moment or something like that, she'd experience this scent. This led to her, to her, this intrigued her. So she began to inquire of some Christians. There were some missionaries in the area. And she began to sort of ask them what was going on. She, you know, risked her own safety and went and approached these missionaries. And they, one of the missionaries, the, the, the guy was out. And so uh, uh, the wife of the couple of missionaries just said, look, why don't you, she was shocked to see this lady. She said, why don't you go home and read John's gospel? Sound advice. So she did. She went home and she read John's gospel, began to read it. She was confused by John's gospel. <laughs> Shortly afterward, her grandson, Mahmoud, was ill. And he mysteriously got ill. She ended up going to hospital and took him to hospital, which is run by a group of nuns. And in came a doctor, a nun called Dr. Santiago, sat down and noticed the Bible that Bill Quiz had taken into the, into the hospital room. Seeing the Bible, the doctor asked her, why she had a Bible? Not an unreasonable question. Here was her answer. And I'm quoting now from the book. I'm going to read for a little while. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. I'm earnestly in search of God, I answered. And then, while the candle burned low, you see, there'd been a, um, a cut, the electricity had cut. I told her very cautiously at first, then with mounting boldness about my dreams. My visiting with Mrs. Mitchell, the missionary. And my comparing the Bible and the Quran, whatever happens, I emphasize, I must find God. But I'm confused about your faith. I realized that even as I spoke, I was putting my finger on something important. You seem to make God so, I don't know, personal. The little nun's eyes filled with compassion. And she leaned forward, begum shake, she said, her voice full of emotion. There is only one way to find out why we feel this way. And that is to find out for yourself. Strange as that may seem, why don't you pray to the God you're searching for? Ask him to show you his way. Talk to him as if he were your friend. I smiled. She might as well have suggest that I talk to the Taj Mahal. But then Dr. Santiago said something that shot right through my being like electricity. She leaned closer and took my hand in hers, tears streaming down her cheeks. 
Talk to him, she said very quietly, as if he were your father. I sat back quickly. A dead silence filled the room. Even Mahmoud and Tuni's conversation hung between thoughts. I stared at the nun with the candlelight glinting off her glasses. Talk to God as if he were my father? The thought shook my soul in the peculiar way truth has of being at once startling and comforting. Now a little later, in fact, I think it was late, later that day, Begum Sheikh did exactly that. She knelt by her bed and she dared to call God Godfather. Here's what she did. Oh, Father, my Father, Father God. Hesitantly, I spoke his name aloud. I tried different ways of speaking to him. And then as if something broke through for me, I found myself trusting that he was indeed hearing me, just as my earthly father had always done. Father, oh my Father God, I cried with growing confidence. My voice seemed unusually loud in the large bedroom as I knelt on the rug beside my bed. But suddenly that room wasn't empty anymore. He was there. I could sense his presence. I could feel his hand laid gently on my head. It was as if I could see his eyes filled with love and compassion. He was so close that I found myself laying my head on his knees like a little girl sitting at her father's feet. For a long time, I knelt there sobbing quietly, floating in his love. I found myself talking with him, apologizing for not having known him before. And then again came his loving compassion like a warm blanket settling around me. Now I recognize this is the same loving presence I met that fragrance-filled afternoon in my garden. The same presence I'd sensed often as I read the Bible. I'm confused, Father, I said. I have to get one thing straight right away. I reached over to the bedside table where I kept the Bible and the Quran side by side. I picked up both books and lifted them, one in each hand. Which, Father, I said, which one is your book? Then a remarkable thing happened. Nothing like it had ever occurred in my life in quite this way. For I heard a voice inside my being, a voice that spoke to me as clearly as if I were repeating words in my inner mind. They were fresh, full of kindness, yet at the same time full of authority. In which book do you meet me as your father? I found myself answering in the Bible. That's all it took. Now there was no question in my mind which one was his book. I looked at my watch and was astonished to discover that three hours had passed. Yet I was not tired. I wanted to go on praying. I wanted to read the Bible, for I knew now that my father would speak through it. In that moment, Bilquis Sheikh dared to call God Father. It would be fair to say that her life was never the same again. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the reason she was able to cry out, Abba, Father, was because the spirit of God had already started working on her and in her. And the spirit works in us to bring about adoption. Adoption. Adoption is when you have, by, uh, by law, you have by transformation what did not belong to you by birth. In Roman law, adoption was common. There'd be no shame attached to it whatsoever, but it was common. And often you'd be adopted uh, into a family that didn't already have an heir. And what would happen as you were adopted is that all the debts and uh, things that were hanging over your head would be cancelled as you transferred from one family into another family. You'd get a completely new start. It was a public event, one that would, be, uh, would happen at considerable cost to the family doing the adopting. 
And often uh, people would be plucked, or sometimes at least people would be plucked from absolute obscurity and adopted into great wealth and power. You know, the first person, the first uh, emperor of the Roman Empire, Augustus, was himself adopted from obscurity. This is the biblical picture of what it looks like to come into the kingdom of God, to be plucked from obscurity, as it were, at the cost of the wealthy power broker, God the Father, and to be placed into a kingdom where all of our debts are canceled and we have the permission and power and authority that belongs to the new kingdom. We take the name of our Father in heaven and everything that happened before is gone. This is what God has done for us. This is adoption. This is salvation. And look at the benefits of this new identity. We're going to look at three really quickly as I close. The first one we see is a new intimacy. It says here that the Spirit of God enables us to cry out, Abba, Father, Abba. Now some people call, uh, some people, uh, this is an Aramaic term, Jesus himself uses it, but some people uh, say that the word Abba is like Daddy. I think there's a little bit more formality to it than that. I think it's a bit more like something like Papa. It has this real intimacy too, but it also has this sense of respect as well. I don't care whether you use Papa, Daddy, Abba, or anything else. You do you. The point is it's got this sense of holiness and awe also connected to this sense of intimacy. The point is that Jesus uses this word to refer to his Father, God. And we, Paul says, by the Spirit of God, get to borrow Jesus's interaction with the Father. We step into the flow of Jesus' relationship with God, his Abba. What's your prayer life like? When you approach God, do you approach God as a a child in that way? With that bold, audacious confidence that you're going to be accepted and loved? Do you approach him as a child, as a a father, Abba? Do you approach God as Jesus Christ himself did? Or do you approach God a little bit like a slave? Or maybe that, well, you're sort of passing into the the sort of sonship thing, but I just got a little little foot in the old kingdom. (laughs) Oh, just in case I've done something bad this week, I'm just going to keep a foot back there in in case God just rebukes me. Abba. Father, the Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father, look at this intimacy. Don't praise if you're a slave. Don't praise if you're a stranger. Praise if you're a son. Praise if you're a daughter. Abba, Father. You know, the prayer of intimacy doesn't shrink God. It doesn't lessen God. If anything, it's the prayer of distance that does that. You know, God can be holy and intimate. How do we know? Because Jesus became flesh. God can be holy and close at the same time. Some people tell you, you've heard it said, that God cannot stand stand the sight of sin. God can't be in contact with sin. And I tell you, that is absolute theological codswallop. How then do you explain the incarnation? How do you explain the fact that God becomes sinful flesh? God steps into flesh. He touches sin all the time, and every time he touches sin, it is made holy. God can come into your quiet time, into your prayer time. God can touch your unholiness, and he can lead you into his holiness. 
And he does it as your Abba, as your Father. He does it intimately. God will never point at your wounds and shame you. God will only ever come and draw you into his wounds and heal you. New intimacy. It gets better if you can believe it. I mean, that was good, but this is as good. I'm not going to say it's better. We have a new authority too. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Yeah, old hat now. Now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we're sharing his sufferings. We have a new authority. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. To be adopted means to take on a new family name. It means that when you come into this family, you're known by his name. To be a co-heir is to have the best yet to come. To experience good stuff now. You know, if you're an heir in the home, you walk about with a little bit of a swagger. If you've been with God in the morning and he has said, you're my son. How you doing, son? And you've said, I'm doing well, Papa. It's good to be your son today. I'm not going to fall back into slavery today, Lord. I'm going to walk in the light of my sonship today. If you've done that in the morning, I grant you this. Or daughtership, by the way. uh, Whatever fits. If you've done that in the morning and you walk out through the door, I guarantee there will be a bit of a swagger. And I just want to, tonight, if I do nothing else, let me release the swagger. Can we have a little swagger? Not arrogance, you understand. Swagger. Humble swagger. (laughs) that says I belong in my father's house I'm not an imposter here I'm going to behave as if I belong can we kick out victim mentality here it says woe is me I'm a slug oh I'm sorry to have to make you look at me today but since you have to look at me let me shrink myself into a corner so you don't have to look at me long no no not in the father's house because sons and daughters of the father carry the authority that comes with the family name we share his name his authority jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me now go carry it with you do your stuff know that you go in my name Finally, we have a new inheritance. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Those who are adopted and who know it share in the future glory of Jesus if they're willing to share in the suffering that will come their way when they walk with their shoulders back and their head high in the kingdom of God. And the glory is worth the suffering. Because the glory is this, that we will rule and reign with Christ, that everything you see, you will possess under his rulership, under his leadership. The coming kingdom, in the kingdom to come, you and I will rule and reign under Jesus. Isn't that incredible? We're co-heirs with Christ. Everything he inherits, we get to share. It's like having that really wealthy mate that invites you on holiday and you get to use their jet ski. (laughs) Or something similar. Let me finish with words from Bill Johnson. We had Carl Barr, A.W. Tozer, and now the best of the lot, Bill Johnson. He says this, things are about to change. The greatest harvest of souls of all time is about to come in. 
And it won't come because of our advanced skills in preaching just as well, our use of media, or even our powerful music. Each of those areas has importance, but they do not exist unto themselves. They're important in that, the, in that they are vehicles that carry the greatest revelation of all time. God is good, and he is a perfect father. His goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend, but not our ability to experience. Our hearts will take us where our heads can't fit. Understanding is vital, but it often comes through experiencing God. This is the most incredible truth, that God is good and that God is a Father. And that truth, if we allow the Holy Spirit to pierce and penetrate our hearts, will change everything. And I believe it has the power to change our cities. Why don't we pray? Hey, thanks for listening to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. Uh, We're here in Nottingham, England. And each week at the end of this podcast, we want to take a few minutes and share some of the stories of what we see God doing in our city and in our church. I'm uh, Bo Brumley, and we're here with the lead pastor of our church, Johnny Hughes, this week. Hello. Johnny, what is uh, a story or something that you see happening in our city uh, or happening in our church? Yeah, well, this one's even probably closer to home than that, Bo. This is something that I guess is happening in me at the moment so I was just last Sunday uh, just praying in the morning and particularly praying that God would um, I guess lead us to a place where we're making more of a difference in the city and you know, we arrived here a few years ago and have just had this this sort of simple vision from the beginning to see the church on fire to see the city alive and I guess seeing the one flow into the other seeing the people set on fire in their faith and that making a difference I just feel I felt this yearning last Sunday morning as I was praying before um, before I left my house God how do we get there and almost if I'm really honest playing from praying from a bit of a place of personal desperation like am I even capable of leading us there when I don't even know the way and just a couple of hours late we were in our gathering and Joanne our worship leader began to sing this song for the sake of the world which is a song that came out a number of years ago now from Bethel amazing song I just felt a very powerful um, sense of God's presence fall on me and I was speaking to Amy afterward and she said the same thing and I know a number of our people did as well and it felt like the beginning of an answer to that prayer so I guess what I see God doing at the moment in our church is to begin to stir us towards um, the, a next a, a, diff, a season a new season of um, looking beyond the walls of our church and we've always had that heart we've always been we've been doing stuff in that direction prayer on the streets and loads of other stuff but just felt like the Holy Spirit's beginning to say something a bit different to us. So I was really excited by that. And what do you see kind of that, that next season mm. for the church? Or what what are areas that we as members of the congregation can step into that? Well, I think it be- it's a great question. I think Bo, it begins with the heart. And I feel like if this is going to be something that's commissioned by God and not just the sort of the plans of men, men and women, then it's got to be a movement of mercy and of compassion and I, that's, I think that's the thing I felt if I was going to try and describe it really clearly and look it's so difficult in dealing with sort of subjective sure, feelings sure. to say um, to exactly describe something but for me personally I just honestly felt overwhelmed with a sense of God's mercy and love for people um, and for our city and I think so that's the thing so we need to that's it we need to ask for that Lord 
stir me, stir, stir mercy, your compassion in me. I mean, it's almost become cliche, hasn't it? But that phrase, you know, break my heart with what breaks yours. I feel that is all at the heart of this that God's going to be doing in our city. It begins with a people who are asking, who are really available to God and, and asking him, however unqualified they feel. And this is the amazing thing. I mean, I've got my journal in front of me open before you, Bo. And I was praying that very morning. I just said, Lord, I want to lead a church that makes a difference. I feel so very unqualified and incapable. Um, and that it, that was the, I feel like that's the place that it begins. Yeah. We just say, look, I've got, I can't do it, but I, I want to see this. And please, would you come and do it in me? Move, move in me. And I think we're probably seeing that hunger and desire. It's not It's not just at Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's happening across our city yeah. uh, with incredible churches. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that maybe you could speak to is a city prayer. Yeah. Well, well, you started coming to that probably mm-hmm. a little over two or three years ago when it was just starting yeah. off. Yeah. And w- where is it now and how did that come about? Yeah, so this is something that's led by Steve Sylvester, who's the rector of St. Nick's, and Alad, who leads a church over in Beast. And it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it happens the second Thursday of every month in the morning and it's just a prayer time that's just grown and grown and grown they lead it so well and it's just a place of a unity and a place where we pray for God's church to be united for God for the power to be released for God's power to be released and our city to be blessed and it's amazing just having seen that be a space where this very thing is happening God is giving people his heart he's pouring out his spirit and a difference is being made and so for example the um, the fostering campaign that's going on at the moment where the city, the churches in the city of Nottingham are saying let's try and find 100 new foster families has come out of that place of unity and God's power. So I think that is in itself an example of what I'm describing and I feel like Trinity is just getting to a place where we're ready to ask God what is our contribution to some of that. Amazing. If you want to get involved with City Prayer, second Second, second Thursday. Second Thursday every month, 7 a.m., various yes. locations. Yes. But you can keep up to date with that on social media and the website. Uh, thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you, Bo. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. Um, if you have a story or have been impacted by the podcast, uh, you just want to tell a story of what God has been doing in your life or what you see happening in our city, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at stories at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Thanks for listening.